Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Health Mystery Solved. You may already be aware of the myriad of health issues that can be related to gluten allergies, gluten sensitivities, and gluten intolerance, like gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, brain fog, fatigue, rashes, insomnia, and the list goes on and on. However, there's a lot of confusion about how to tell if you have an issue. And today I wanna clear that all up. I will explain why there are so many negative results that are false, the differences between celiac and gluten sensitivity, and what you could do to truly find out if it's an issue for you. Also, if it is an issue, if it's a temporary issue or a long-term issue. Even if you think you already know everything there is to know about gluten, I'm fairly confident that you will learn something today because there is so much more that meets the eye when it comes to this topic. I also just wanted to do a quick shout out to Robbie for her very sweet five-star review on iTunes. She writes, Ina has come recommended to me multiple times from multiple sources. While I haven't had the opportunity to work with her one-on-one, I listen to her podcast religiously about both topics that are applicable and not applicable to me. Her process of what she's able to uncover with her knowledge, curiosity, and a bit of ingenuity is so interesting and inspiring. Thank you so much, Robbie, for leaving this review. And if you guys like the show and can rate or review it on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Those reviews really help to bring the show up in the ranks. So then it showed to more people who really need this information. And speaking of information, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, let's start by clarifying some definitions and differences between celiac and gluten sensitivity. Celiac disease is an extreme intolerance to gluten where eating gluten will actually damage the lining of your intestines and cause malabsorption along with many other symptoms, all types of GI issues, skin issues, headaches, arthritis, depression, you name it. 
Now, a gluten sensitivity is when you don't have the true full-blown celiac and your intestines are not completely damaged, but eating gluten makes you feel worse and can often cause very similar, if not the same symptoms as those with celiac disease. Now, what are the problems with testing and why is it so hard to get an answer? The reason for this is that testing is very tricky because the occurrence of false negatives is often likely. The only way to get a true celiac test is to go to a dry doctor and have a biopsy. Your intestines are lined with these hair-like structures, they're called villi, and in healthy intestines, they stand straight up like a shaggy rug. When a person has celiac disease, gluten causes damage to those intestines and the villi, they lose their integrity and become kind of flat. So think of it as more like a Berber carpet instead of a fluffy rug. That biopsy looks at the state of the villi and only if they're flattened can there be a true celiac diagnosis. Now, very important thing to remember here is that if someone removes gluten from their diet, the villi can be revived fairly quickly so the intestines will heal. For this reason, a person needs to actually eat gluten about you know a slice of bread or so every day for 30 days before the biopsy in order to get an accurate reading. If you already started a gluten-free diet before the biopsy, that's not going to show up. There's also a way to look at antibodies and your body may be producing against gluten and you could do that in the blood. And some GI doctors will use this as a celiac test, but in my opinion, I just don't think this is really accurate and it misses a lot. An antibody is something, by the way, that's made in the body when it's fighting an antigen that it doesn't like. Hence, the presence of a gluten antibody shows that there's some kind of a reaction. The problem here is that gluten antibodies are produced in significant numbers only if the person has a good functioning immune system and has a good amount of total antibodies since the gluten antibody is part of the total. If the antibody production is low, which is actually really common in many people, especially if you have chronic health issues, the gluten antibody will also be low, therefore leading to a false negative result. Furthermore, there are several types of antibodies that can be tested, and some of the main ones are IgE, IgG, and IgA. IgE shows an immediate response, and this often comes out negative unless someone has an anaphylactic type of reaction to a food, and that's far less common. IgG and IgA are the delayed antibodies and are more likely to be found through testing because gluten-containing foods can take several hours to even several days to show symptoms and inflame the immune system, so the delayed antibodies can be a better catch for this reaction. I've seen people who were told by their doctors they did not have any issues with gluten, but when I reviewed their blood work, they tested IgE, and it was negative. Of course, that's not going to really show everything. It's just a tiny little piece of the picture. So what about sensitivities? While celiac disease is becoming more common, gluten sensitivity is much more rampant and affects an even bigger part of the population. Even though a sensitivity is not full-blown celiac, the symptoms could be very similar and range from digestion to all other areas of the body. Those with gluten sensitivity will not get a positive result through a biopsy and can often test negative on the gluten antibody blood test. So this is really important to remember. However, they notice they'll feel worse when consuming gluten. 
This leaves many people confused and it drives them to eat gluten even though they feel bad from it because they're told by their doctors over and over that their tests are negative, they don't have celiac, and they don't have an issue with gluten. When a celiac test is negative, but someone feels worse after consuming gluten, and this can happen not immediately, but even a few days after, they most likely have a sensitivity to gluten. The reason the other tests are negative is because gluten reactions vary in strength. The easiest way to describe this is if you think on a spectrum from zero to 100, zero being no sensitivity and 100 being extremely sensitive, right? If someone is all the way at 100, it would equate to celiac disease or maybe an extreme intolerance and often result in a positive biopsy. But anything below that would not show up on those tests. So what if you were 95 on the scale or 94 or 85? These cases would show up negative for celiac, but as you see from this example, 95 is still very high on the spectrum and the person would have pretty severe sensitivity to gluten with all of the same symptoms. Testing for sensitivities is also tricky because people can react to gluten through various allergenic pathways and being able to find possible reactive pathway is the way to see a true result. The major pathways that have been identified and where testing is available for food sensitivities so far are the delayed antibody pathways and inflammatory cell-mediated pathways. Antibody testing is very popular and used in many integrative practices all over the country today. Antibodies can be tested in blood, but only the IgA and IgG should be used, not the IgE, because the IgA and IgG are the delayed ones. And of course, the total antibody would also need to be assessed, because if you're low, we know those would not be valid. Additionally, we want to test for not just the whole food, but all of the different breakdowns of that food. I actually did a whole episode on food sensitivity testing and discussed this in length in episode 60 and why I like the Viber America test. So check that out if you missed that episode. Now, the story does not stop here, though. It is possible that all three antibodies tested and all three fluids can turn out negative, but a reaction could still be occurring. This is possible because the body can react to gluten on a cellular level without necessarily producing antibodies, or as I mentioned above, if the antibody is overall weakened due to immune weakness or other diseases, the antibody test would just not be valid. So another way to look at gluten sensitivity is through the inflammatory pathway of the white blood cells. The ALCAT test is a technology that has made their name in this area. And they test by collecting blood, separating out the white blood cells, and then introducing gluten to the white blood cells to look for that information. If the white blood cells changes form or shape um, or anything that they see in the change of the white blood cell, that result is positive. And the severity of the change that the white blood cell undergoes allows the technicians at the lab to determine if the sensitivity is mild, moderate, or severe. If there's no change to the white blood cell, then there's no sensitivity. Now, what if the biopsy, the antibody testing, and the inflammation testing all show up negative, but there's still symptoms? Well, another big piece of the gluten puzzle is a gluten intolerance due to slight 
genetic modification of the seed of the wheat. And this phenomenon is outlined wonderfully in Dr. Davis's book, Wheat Belly, which is a great read. The premise here is that about 50 years ago, a geneticist was able to slightly modify the wheat seed to allow the wheat plant to grow faster and be harvested more often to help with world hunger. While this is, of course, great intention, the genetic modification in the seed created a plant that now has a higher gluten content. Also, while plants can naturally mutate from strain to strain over time, the natural process could take hundreds of years, and this was done sort of overnight. The human DNA is not familiar with this new strain of wheat, and so there are many people who are just plainly intolerant to this new wheat because their body doesn't recognize this changed grain. And Dr. Davis uses a wonderful analogy in his book to describe it. The new wheat is 99.9% genetically the same as the old wheat, which doesn't seem like it would be that harmful, but apes are also 99.9% genetically the same as humans, and yet we are quite different. This new intolerance that comes from this genetic change does not necessarily cause the body to be sensitive, which is why it's hard to test for it, but people are finding that they just don't feel well when they eat it, and that could be the answer why. The final and perhaps the most important piece of the puzzle is your genetics. I saved the best for last. One extremely important factor that is often missed when talking about gluten sensitivity is genetics. Genes are something that you're born with and are carried down from generation to generation. There are a set of genes recognized as celiac genes, and they are the HLA, DQ2, and DQ8. There are parts of each gene called alleles, and you can have one or two copies of each depending on if you got it from one or both of your parents. A positive in any of those means that there is an issue. However, each one of these holds a different weight. So having a positive on the DQ2 can hold a little bit more weight than a positive on a DQ8. And so the percentages are actually figured out by the lab. Gluten sensitivity is not a disease like celiac disease, but it could be looked at as a state of genetics. If a person is not designed to process gluten properly based on their genetics, but eats it anyway, the end result is a constant attack on the immune system, which could subsequently lead to autoimmune disease. But if we knew a person's propensity was to be gluten sensitive, meaning that they have those genes, then we can actually even stop the disease before it happens. The test for these genes can be done through blood or through a very simple cheek swab, which is what I use in the practice. It can't be easier, and the results usually come within two weeks, and this can be done by most labs. So when we look at all of these tests, what is the best test? And depending on who you ask, you will most likely get different answers. But as you can gather from everything we just talked about, there are several ways to look at gluten issues. They're all important, and the only way to know for sure is to look at as many pathways as possible through as many tests as you can, and if any of them are positive, then you know that there is an issue. If you just take one test and it's negative, we really can't assume that there's absolutely no issues at all with gluten because there's so many other things that can be going on. 
I personally think that it's extremely important to look at genetics to see if there's a long-term issue. So often you may not have sensitivities or they may not show up, but if you have the genes, either part of the GQ2 or the GQ8, it means your body is not meant to process gluten. So every time you eat it, your body is taking in something it doesn't want or know what to do with. Yes, it's going to process it for a while, but it's going to create inflammation. And over time, that inflammation is going to confuse the immune system and eventually can lead to autoimmunity. If you have gluten genes and continue to eat gluten, not only are you more prone to celiac disease, but you're also more prone to developing one or even more autoimmune diseases. And the time frame really varies. Someone can eat gluten for 30 years with no issues, while others will develop issues much sooner. So I think it's so imperative to know what your genes are so that you know if you need to avoid gluten temporarily due to a food sensitivity or long-term due to genetics. I like to test people using a food sensitivity test from Vibrant America, which looks at the two different antibodies, IgG and IgA, and all of the wheat breakdown products. And I also like to use the DQ2 and DQ8 genetic test from LabCorp. And I use the cheek swab one just because people don't have to get their blood drawn and they can do it in the comfort of their own home. If someone has a sensitivity on the Vibrant test, but no genetics, there is a very good chance that after we clean up their gut, heal leaky gut, and do everything to balance the microbiome, they will be able to consume some gluten and be okay. However, if they have the sensitivity and they have the genes, I recommend they stay away from gluten long-term. If they have the genes but don't have a sensitivity, I still recommend that they stay away from gluten long-term because even though the sensitivity is not showing up, we know their body is not meant to process gluten due to the genetics, and it's going to be an issue at some point whether they have a sensitivity or not. You can't control what genes you're born with, but you can identify and change your diet and lifestyle to accommodate for them and both heal a health issue as well as prevent potential future issues. So the power is in your hands, my friend. So just to recap, if you have been tested for celiac disease with a biopsy and it's positive, then you have celiac disease and you need to stay away from gluten. However, if you were tested for celiac and it was negative, this does not mean that you don't necessarily have issues with gluten. So even if your doctor tells you you don't have celiac, you're fine, you could still have many issues arising from eating gluten. So the next thing that you would want to do is you would want to do a food sensitivity test and also a genetic test for the DQ2, DQ8. And based on those results, it would then be much easier to evaluate what is going on. Now, if all of those also turn out to be negative, but you still don't feel well, especially after having gluten, it is possible you could be reacting to that new modified wheat. And in that case, taking it out of your diet would still be recommended. I hope you found this helpful. And if you know someone that can benefit from hearing this information, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. When it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. There are so many answers out there and there really is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mysteries Solved. 
All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.